On today's show, we're going to talk about how to minimize price using third-party verification. Welcome to Cracking the Code, the show that helps you overcome the challenges you face every day in contracting and keeps you on the cutting edge of emerging trends and best practices. Welcome to the audio version of Cracking the Code. Now, this was originally a video show, so if you hear us talking about something related to an image or any other visual element, you can see what we're talking about by going over to egia.org show and see what we're doing there in Cracking the Code. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. You know, we've been working our way through the sales process, which I like to do at the beginning of each year, and just kind of going back over some of the fundamentals and sharing some of these videos, the role play videos. So, you know, it might remind you of some things. Maybe you, maybe you are skipping some corners, right, and cutting some steps. We want to make sure we get you back to basics. One of the questions that came in I thought was really interesting says, I've heard about third-party validations to solidify points that we're trying to make during our sales communications. Can you talk about how that works and, you know, how you do it? Well, absolutely. And it really goes to the heart of pages four and five in the sales presentation. So let's get down to some role play action. Now let's talk about the setup on pages four and five. The way that I use third-party verification or third-party uh, validation on pages four and five is to illustrate to the homeowner that price is not the most important consideration. Obviously, you know that before you go to the house, the homeowners are having a conversation. They're saying, hey, we're going to get a good price. Well, you want to make sure and deal with price proactively. Don't wait till it comes up at the end. Make sure that you address it proactively so that you can make your case and to get your homeowner to agree that price is not the most important thing. So on page four there, I'm going to be talking about consumer reports. And the main thing, as you'll see in the role play video, is that I want to make sure my homeowner understands that what's really important in making this decision about a new system is finding a trustworthy contractor and doing a proper load calculation, right? And you'll see the conversation that I have there. Then I'm going to go to page five, which is going to be the Department of Energy page, which also makes the same case. Uh, makes the case that many, many companies don't do a load calculation. And what I want you to watch especially is the metaphor or kind of the analogy I use to illustrate the problem with oversized systems that result from uh, improper sizing, from not doing a load calculation. And I make the analogy between their car and their AC system and driving their car in town in terms of wear and tear on the system and also the inefficiency, the bad gas mileage. Well, it's the same thing with their HVAC system, right? We want to make sure we don't have these short cycling, you know, uh, high energy consuming cycles. So we want to make sure that we have this conversation and we rely on the experts. It's very, very powerful to rely on the experts. It's not you saying this. It's not you saying that finding a trustworthy contractor is the most important thing. It's consumer reports. It's not you saying that half of contractors, over half of contractors, don't properly size the systems. Department of Energy is saying it for you. It enhances you. It enhances your credibility because you're saying, hey, here's the industry standard. I'm sharing it with you. And I promise you the other guys did not share that with you, right? because other contractors aren't going to talk about those things because they're probably going in and dropping off a bid. So have this discussion, rely on the experts, Consumer Reports, Department of Energy, to make the case that price is not the most important consideration. And notice the very last question that I ask at the end of page five. I'm going to have a specific conversation about asking my homeowner, would you agree with Consumer Reports and Department of Energy that there are other factors that are more important than just a cheap price? They're going to have to answer you, you know, affirmatively. And once they make that declaration, that's going to take a lot of pressure off of you at the end because they start realizing, hey, price is not the most important thing. So let's take a quick look at role-playing pages four and five. The 
first thing that Consumer Reports says is finding a trustworthy contractor matters most. Now, when they say finding a trustworthy contractor matters most, I mean, that would, you know, more important than price or brand or, or anything. Why do you suppose so much emphasis is put on the contractor and finding the right contractor? Well, I'm not sure. Well, here's the reason why. Number one, as I mentioned, these are complex systems and they have to be designed properly. And they have to be designed by uh, a professional, someone that's highly skilled and highly trained. Another thing to consider is this. When you look at uh, the heating and air conditioning industry, there are maybe half a dozen manufacturers of the components in 50 different brands. What does that tell you about the components of the system? Well, they must have a lot of the same components in yeah. them. You have major manufacturers that design a lot of the components and various manufacturers, you know, add their twist on it. And there's differences in, uh, in manufacturing and quality of manufacturing. But at the same time, any of the systems, the major brands that you would look at, are going to be very reliable and operate properly if they're designed and installed properly. And as you'll see later, uh, there's a lot of complex things, a lot of detailed things that go into a proper installation of one of these systems. And that's why they say it's all about the contractor, not necessarily the brand of equipment. They go on to say the contractor should calculate the required cooling and heating capacity by using a recognized method. That's what I'm going to do here by measuring your home and make sure we have it properly sized. They go on to say be leery of contractors who base their estimates on house size and vague rules of thumb. Now, you mentioned you talked to five window contractors. Have you had a chance yet to talk to any heating and air conditioning contractors? Yeah, we've actually, you're, the, you're actually the third company we've talked to, oh, Wally. Yeah. You're getting three bids, right? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> At least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, during the course of talking with them, did any of them just kind of say, you know, hey, Jamie, how, how big is your house or how many square feet are in your house? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I think two of the people she told me she'd called, uh, they asked over the phone and gave her a price. And then the, the two companies that have already been out, they asked what our square footage was. Yeah. Well, according to Consumer Reports, not according to me, but according to Consumer Reports, you got to be very careful about that situation because that old rule of thumb uh, is, uh, is a method that a lot of folks use because it's quick and it's easy, but it's mm. not always accurate. And you'll see here, uh, Department of Energy talks a lot about this. They say that national surveys have determined that well over half of all HVAC contractors do not properly size the systems. Over half. Now that's 55, 65%. I would call that an epidemic. I mean, you know, 50, 60% of all the companies are not properly sizing and therefore not properly designing and installing the systems. What that means is that if 10 of your neighbors got new air conditioning systems put in last year, five or six of them are not properly installed. Five or wow. six of them are not properly sized. That's really interesting. It's, it's a very serious situation. Yeah, that makes you kind of uneasy, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Owners uh, should insist upon uh, a, a system being uh, correctly sized before it's, it's installed. Here's what I'd like to ask you. Why do you suppose that Consumer Reports and Department of Energy put so much emphasis on this proper sizing thing? Why do you think they have so much, I mean, both of them talk about the same issue? Well, I can only assume that uh, from what you've said, that if it's not sized properly, it's not going to work properly. Exactly. Maybe not heat or cool your home as well as it should. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Mm -hmm. When you look at a heating and air conditioning system, uh, it's got something kind of in common with your car. If you have your car and you're doing in-town driving, versus highway driving, where do you get the best gas mileage? On the highway, the, you know, the long, yeah. even drive. Absolutely, yeah. Same with your heating and air conditioning system. When they're oversized and they're doing what we call short cycling, kicking on, kicking off, mm. kicking on, kicking off, that's like in-town in driving with your car. 
Uh, what we want are long, even heating and cooling cycles where you get the best gas mileage as you go you know, through the vari various seasons. So efficiency is one very important issue. But the other issue is the single most important issue. And it's the wear and tear all that short cycling uh, puts on your system. When a system is oversized, like you know, 50, 60% of them are, that short cycling starting and stopping and starting, it's, all that, it's like in-town driving, right? All the wear and tear that puts on your brakes and your clutch and your transmission, all these different things, it wears the car out sooner, correct? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Same way with your HVAC system. All that wear and tear, the system will not last as long as it should. Uh, so let me ask you this. If a guy came in and uh, you know, offered to do a system for $500 or $1,000 less than my company, but he came in, he didn't properly size it, he just did the old rule of thumb, threw something in, but because it was oversized, it was not as efficient as it should be, and it lasted half as long as it should, instead of 20 years, maybe it lasts 10 years. Would the guy really have saved you any money in the long haul? No. No, not, not, a, not if it only lasted half as long as it should. We right? just have to go through the process again. <laughs> exactly, exactly, and yeah, spend right. the money again. Uh, would you agree or disagree with Consumer Reports and Department of Energy that proper sizing is one of the most important considerations, perhaps even as important as, uh, as the price of the system? Yeah, it is. I, I think so. I haven't thought about that, but yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree as well. You know, there's nothing more important, I think, than role play, practicing these conversations, just like the conversations we're having in these role play videos. If you want to get more about this, this is this part of our core training. All these videos are available to you as a premium member of EGI Contract University. If you're not a member, you should be, right? At the very least, click the button over here next to me, whichever direction it is, and get a free sample of the training. You gotta get involved because this content is so important to helping you be more effective at the kitchen table. Once again, we're gonna have one of our founding faculty members, Mr. Drew Cameron, join us. And Drew's gonna continue his conversation about how important it is to make sure you assemble the right team, what he calls the dream team in your organization. And the idea is, is you got to stop fishing and start hunting. Get social, as they say. Millennials are connected to their devices. So you got to find a way to get in front of them. So I have a friend, his name is Patrick Long, and he has a company called bizpal.org. Okay, bizpal, B-I-Z-P-A-L. And he leverages social media, digital footprints. His company actually, this is his site here, bestskilledtradecareers.com. And these other, these other two sites do this as well. And what they do is they, they basically follow people's digital footprint, their digital behavior, and they're able to put your recruiting ads up in front of people. So I was trying to hire a, an ops manager for a client not too long ago. And she went about doing this and hire, uh, went through her, you know, the usual suspects, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, CareerBuilder, all that kind of stuff. She couldn't find anybody. So we hired Patrick to do what he does with his magic, outsource it, because we, we don't have all the answers. So we outsourced it to Patrick. Patrick made it happen. He got us eight of the most qualified operations managers that I've ever seen. And we hired one. Paid a little bit, okay? But I hired a specialist to do a very specific task. He had a very unique set of skills. He's like the Liam Neeson snakes on a plane or something like that, whatever the heck Liam Neeson does, right? Very specific, specific set of skills to achieve an objective that I couldn't do for my client. We compounded time. We got the right person. See, we spent a little bit more money, but you know how much we would have spent having the wrong person? Like I was talking about to somebody last night that they, uh, actually, no, that was this morning, Chris, right? He's hired the wrong manager, service manager, seven times. And how long do you think it's taken to figure out that he's had the wrong service manager? Seven times. 
years, over years. He puts up with it, puts up with it, and puts up with it. It's probably over 10 years that he's put up with the wrong, having the wrong service manager. How much do you think it cost him? A, a lot of money. You know, money he didn't get, but how much in just a headache and heartache and frustration, right? And, and he was bitching about paying the money to hire and outsource, uh, and outsource it. He spent it 20 times over. And he lost it, compromised the lost opportunity, probably 100 times over. Invest in the specialist. They, they do what they do for a very good reason. You expect your customers to do it with you. Take your own medicine, do it yourself, and hire some outside people. Military recruiters, these, these are some great places where you can get some great people here. They specifically target the military, people coming out of the military. These will be your most loyal people, as I said to you a little bit earlier, right? So this is where you're going to get a little bit more expensive. This is going to be where you're saying, okay, you know what? I don't want you just doing the digital media stuff and finding me somebody. I need you to go out there and retrieve the person I need. The person I need is out there in the market. I need you to actually go find that individual, talk to that individual, test, interview, you know, the whole nine yards, and then bring that individual to me. That's what these people do. Okay? And the last one here is probably the best at doing that. They're a headhunter. And you will pay a headhunter fee. It's not as much as you think it is. And you know what? It pays for itself. It's an investment. Think about it. It's an investment in a person, having the right person that will bring you everything you need in your company. And it takes it off your plate. You can go back to doing what you do well. Because you don't do this well. My dad didn't do this well. I'm a pretty decent recruiter. But I'm not as good as these people. You know what, and, and if you want to say in it, they'll bring them to you and then you can vet that person. Maybe they'll bring it down to one or two people and then you vet one or two people. You don't have to interview 40. Fair enough? Rework your networks, all right? This is, this is really where you can make your magic happen. This is the probably the cheapest thing that you could do, right? Because we've created the culture already. We talked about that in one of the previous action steps. What are you going to do now that you've got a great culture with great people? You're going to leverage those people and their networks. They know people, don't they? How many of your technicians know technicians from other companies? Right? They know whether they should be on your team or not. We actually have a salesperson who knows the best salesperson at a co co-worker's, um, uh, excuse me, at a competitor's site. And we said, well, why aren't you bringing that person over here? He says, he wouldn't fit our culture. So, you know what? I don't need to even talk to that individual. He knows what we've built. He wants a winner on our team. But he doesn't want somebody who's going to upset the culture and chemistry that we've got within the team either. He's smart enough to know that. Okay, offer a bounty. Pay a fee, as we talked about a little bit earlier there. Work your network. How many of you know people? Get into the Lions Club, the JCs, the, uh, the Rotary Club, or something like that, and find out where the good people are. Tap your customers. We talked about that a little bit earlier, right? They know people. Put it into your newsletters. Kind of got to cut off there a little bit. Sorry about that. But offer a bounty to your customers as well. Flush and reflush your pipeline. How many of you have had people come to your business, and you, like, you said, I can only hire one, and you hire one, but the second one was okay, pretty good? but you didn't get hired to the second one. How many of you call that second one back the next time you need somebody? One person. What happens in the time that you basically hired the most qualified one and you let go of the least qualified one? What happens over the time that you didn't hire this person? They get experience, don't they? They get better. Call them back. You don't need to start the whole process over again. Say, hey, no, no promises. I know you can't make me a promise. I can't make you a promise. But with your permission, I think you were very qualified for this opportunity. Could I call you the next time around? You might be working somewhere. You know, it may not be a fit, but 
would it be okay to keep the dialogue open? They always say yes. So work that. The previous candidates were good, okay? They didn't, some of them had the talent and you didn't hire them. Some of them didn't necessarily have the talent, okay? Review those applications, if you will. Get into guerrilla warfare. Now, this is going to be where you're not going to make some friends amongst your competitors. <laughs> this is where you're going to go poaching people, all right? So you can give out business cards. I know now's not the time to talk. I'll approach them at, a, like, at the coffee shop, at the donut shop. I know now's not the time to talk. That's exactly what the business card says. But if you'd like to discuss a career opportunity, please give me a call. Because I don't want people talking to my people on my, my clock. And I'm going to be respectful to my competitor not to do it on their clock. But I'm going give, to give out my card. If you have uh, the license list in your town, if you have to be licensed to be a technician in your town, you can direct mail. That's not up here. You can direct mail that whole list. It's available to the public. It's a matter of public record. And we actually do direct mailers there. We do open houses. We do career, uh, career opportunities. Uh, and we talk to them off, uh, off, like I say, off the clock there. We have a drawing for a free prize at a supply house. Some supply houses won't let you do that, right? But again, put your name in, right? Who goes to the supply house a lot of times? Technicians. <laughs> okay, so you can build your list there. Truck magnets, okay? Or have a, uh, a bus wrapped, vehicle, you know, a vehicle or a bus wrapped that drives around talking about your career opportunities, if you will. Poach them at home shows and supply houses when you're there yourself, or local events, coffee spots, wherever you see somebody. Have these cards, hand them out, work the, you know, work the room. Don't be shy, talk to people, okay? You gotta go, that's, I mean, that's how you're going to get to know these people and just let them know what's out there. And then some other uh, multiple modalities here. Advertise paid training from scratch. I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay for the training, and I'm going to pay you to, you know, to train you. You could offer that. You could recruit car mechanics that are outside this, computer technicians that are also outside our industry. Anyone who's got a little bit of technical, mechanical aptitude. I can send them to Little Rock, Arkansas, and I can have a maintenance tech in a week that has an EPA certification. How many of you know the Ultimate Technical Academy in Little Rock, Arkansas? You can turn around these people, boom, boom, boom. Then you can send them back. They get advanced diagnostics. Then they get you know, installation background. They get electrical, the whole nine yards. Little Rock, Arkansas, the ultimate technical academy. Mark and Pat Hardwick, tell them I told you to call. Great people, great colleagues, they do a, they do a great service for this industry. Start, uh, start your own recruiting department, okay? So my client in v Richmond, Virginia, finally got enough of me beating him up so much that they hired a dedicated person whose job solely is to recruit. That's all this person does for every trade that they have, because they do it all. You can partner with a recruiter. Okay? If you partner with a recruiter and you show loyalty to that, to that recruiter, they'll probably give you a better rate. Cross-train. Obviously, you want to cross-train. So, again, hey, maybe we're slow over here in, in, in the off-season of HVAC. Maybe we, they can go over into electrical. Or can they go into plumbing? Again, licensing might be an issue, but if you can cross-train people, they can get, you know, they can get skilled and, and grow in, and maybe even get licensed in, in, a, in their downtime. Reconceptualize the workload and your talent deployment. Smart home. Any of you guys all doing smart home with a platform on your phone and whatnot? Anybody? So I have a, a client that I was talking with last week. Uh, we've been building on this idea for a while. Emerson has a technology that you can put onto the machines. It won't work with a lot of the communicating systems, but it will work with everything else that you do. And since most, most of uh, the contractors sell non-communicating systems, like 16-seer and less in most cases, uh, and Daikin, Goodman, Amana, and a few others, Ream, I think uh, Lennox was thinking about this, they're all going to move the diagnostics to the box anyway and take it out of the thermostat, you can use the, the smart thermostat. And we can monitor the system, and you can get these, you know, these alerts about how the system's performing. Instead of doing two tune-ups a year, you can do one tune-up a year. Maybe you do one tune-up every other year, but they're on a smart maintenance program. They're my customer. I don't have to go there every year. We don't have to do two tune-ups every year. If, if my, my company does a tune-up on your system, I don't need to tune it up every year. Every two years is probably fine. 
And if I'm monitoring the system, I'm going to get alerts anyway. I'm going to know if it's got high pressure, low pressure, temperatures are off, air flows off, the whole nine yards. I can serve more people, can I, when I'm going to fewer places. The smart technology allows me to leverage and redeploy my workforce a little better, right? Well, folks, that's our show for this week. We appreciate you joining us here on Cracking the Code, EGIA Contracting University contribution to the entire industry. Right, right here for you. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you soon. In the meantime, bye-bye for now.